Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Hey, howdy, Zozo, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. And on this edition, let's talk about dinosaurs. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. This is shout-outs to the patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. Thank these guys, because without them, there would be no Paranormal Almanac. Shout-outs to Buzz. I'm so happy to see you on there. It's very, very sweet that you're on here. Buzz, Tom, Lobito Works, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Tamara, 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 Amber, Gary, Tracy, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic, Sandy Page, Kausch, Sean, Andrew, hey, howdy, hi, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times, 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren McGano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scostin, Lindsay, Hahn, Megan, Matt, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren, Strawn, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J, Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Nash, Nanashi, Jade, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. With two special shout-outs to the Joe Teague and a Stitch. All righty, let's get right on into Paranormal News. I only have a few from for this week's Paranormal News, but there's one that I really wanted to watch, and I'm eager to get to it. Everybody keeps sending it to me. Thankfully, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but everybody kept sending it to me, and I was like, I can't watch it. you gotta got to wait for Paranormal News, and I really want to watch it. So let's kick right on into, let's do this one. dig that one. That's so cool. Uh, I love these bumper music that these way more talented than me people make for me, and I can't thank them enough. That uh, If you want to make one as well, head on over to, or I don't know, wherever you want to make it, go ahead and make it, and then email it to me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Oh my god, what is happening to me? Paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I swear I know my email address. Alrighty, let's get right into paranormal news. This first one I really am happy about. I really am. It's Kristen Stewart casting for most gayest queer ghost hunting show. You might know Kristen Stewart from like Twilight and other things, but she's a brilliant actress in my opinion and an incredibly nice person. I've met her numerous times at a local bar and uh, she's always been cool. So I really like her. And the fact that she wants to do this uh, ghost hunting show and have it be representative and not just another ghost busting show or ghost hunting show 
with a bunch of old white guys like me. Well, a bunch of old straight white guys like me. Now let's mix it up a little bit. And I, I dig this. So Kristen Stewart is set to put her affinity for ghost whispering to good use by executive producing what she cheekily calls the most gayest, most funnest, most titillating queer ghost hunting show ever. In a video posted to celebrity hairstylist CJ Romero's Instagram account, she added, we need to find the most... Inc- well, actually, wait. Can I just... If it's a video, why don't I just listen to her tell it? Why do I get it? You don't hear me. Hello. So I am scarily excited to announce that uh, I'm teaming up with Scout, the producers of Queer Eye, Legendary, The Hype, on the most gayest, most funnest, most titillating queer ghost hunting show ever. And casting begins. We need to find the most incredible LGBTQ plus ghost hunters, paranormal specialists, mediums, psychics, investigators who will lead the pack on this super gay ghost hunting adventure. So if you are curious, which is what you should be when starting a new adventure, just check out the website, which is ghost.castingcrane.com for more information. There you go. Once again, that is ghost.castingcrane.com. Um, are you an amazingly fabulous ghost hunter, medium, psychic, historian, or connected to the LG? Are you connected to the LGBTQIA plus community? Well, I am connected to it. Now, I'm not gay myself, but I'm very uh, connected to the community. I have numerous friends in every one of those genres. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to audition for this show, but I had I had a listener. Hold on, I want to get that listener's name because they were like, hey, why not, man? Like, you know, it's not like you're against all that stuff. You're for it. You're, uh, you're a big supporter in the community, so why not try? Aisling, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. I feel terrible. Aisling said, hey, I saw your post on the Paranormal Almanac fan page this morning. I can't stop thinking about how perfect you are for the show. You have a passion for and an interest in all things paranormal. You approach it from a logical, scientific point of view. You're open-minded but determined to debunk things that need to be dunk- debunking. And then went on to say the most nice things in the world and said, you know, you should go out and, you know, why don't you audition for it or whatever? So maybe I will. And I will just put at the beginning, like, you know, Hey, yes, I am a heterosexual male, but why let that define me when I don't want that to define anybody that is ever on this show? I don't want to be, I don't want them to be defined by their sexuality. And like I said, I will 100% be watching this show. I am a huge fan of this twist on the on the genre a well-needed twist on the genre like i was saying earlier and i did tell my friend ashley to to definitely audition for it and hope and i hope she does because i really think she would be phenomenal but uh then aisling said uh it's obvious you have a passion for it give rum a scratch behind the ears for me and i did and i will again many many times but yeah sure you know why not why don't i audition for it what's the worst thing that happened they say sorry you're not part of the lgbtq community plus community so we can't have you on the show. And I would say, yep, all right, you're right, 100% right. I'll be watching, and can I interview you all? Because why the hell not? And I will also say that if I bump into Kristen Stewart again, which, again, when I used to go out about into the world, I would see her on a fairly regular basis. If I go back out into the world, that seems scary, so I probably won't. But if I do go back out into the world and I see her, I am definitely going to stop her and, A, thank her for creating this project and, and the idea behind it. I think it's fantastic. Already up next in paranormal news, the one I wanted to get to. Chupacabra? Coyote walking upright? Texas City ponders mystery creature seen near zoo. There better be a fucking video because there's a clip from a video that I really want to watch this video. But it says something strange was recently seen lurking outside a Texas zoo. And while the city has several theories, 
Its identification is still a mystery. Security cameras at the Amarillo Zoo captured the mysterious creature in the dark and early morning hours of Saturday, May 21st, according to a June 8th news release from the city. A still photo from the recording. Oh, I want to see this video. I think there is one, though. Uh, I'm going to keep reading. A still photo from the recording shows the life form outside the zoo's perimeter fence at 1.25 a.m. that Saturday. Was it a person with a strange hat who likes to walk at night, a large coyote on its hind legs, a chupacabra? It's a mystery for Amarillo to help solve. It's crazy. It's cool. But I want to see the footage. The video says it does not have video footage of the counter to share. What? You sons of bitches have been waiting this whole time to watch this freaking video and you don't have footage? Wait, what is this then? I'm going to click on this. It's got a it's got little, little triangle arrowy thingy to play a video, so why won't it play? There are no signs of attempted entry into the zoo. No animals are hi- are were harmed. Yeah, no, there's no video. Damn it all. I could have read this one a, a while ago. I don't know what to think of it. I mean, it's a bizarre looking a very very bizarre looking creature in the Photo, the one photo they sent to us. And obviously they do have video because they have security cam footage. It's what it's, they, someone just walked outside and went, what the hell's that? Took a photo and walked back in? No, it was 1.25 a.m. on 5.21.2022. Come on. The picture is of a security camera footage. It's weird though. I don't know what it is, but I like it and I want to see it some more. All righty, finally in paranormal news. Because I want to get to the episode. NASA is assembling a team to gather data on unidentifiable events in the sky. NASA's putting together their team to study UAPs. Uh, the team will gather data on events in the sky that cannot be identified as aircraft or known natural phenomena from a scientific perspective. NASA said it was interested in UAPs from a security and safety perspective. There was no evidence UAPs are extraterrestrial in origin. NASA wanted added to this. This study will begin this fall and is expected to take nine months. NASA believes that the tools of scientific discovery are powerful and apply here also. I agree. It really does. We have access to a broad range of observations of Earth from space, and that is the lifeblood of scientific inquiry. We have the tools and the team who can help identify, who, help, who can help us improve our understandings of the unknown. That's the very definition of what science is. That's what we do. That's all we do. Well, they didn't say that's all we do, but you know what I'm saying. I think it's a cool idea. It's about time that NASA got officially into the realm of UAPs or UFOs because we've all known, conspiratorially known, that NASA has known about UFOs and maybe covering up some stuff. Now, look, I'm not saying moon landings are fake. That's bullshit. The moon landings happened. It's real. Get over it. We went to the moon. Science is real, folks. But I think that NASA has helped or assisted in covering up some interesting UFO phenomena. That's all I'll say. All righty. Let's, uh, let's close up the old paranormal, the official Paranormal news, despite what other websites are now doing, it's official. The official paranormal news. Let's close it on up. And, uh, oh, uh, before we get to the break, two things I got to talk about. One, merch. Hey, guess what? Uh, two, 200th title, uh, 200th uh, episode. What am I trying to say here? All right, so uh, what I'm going to do this weekend is I'm taking down two of the 200th limited edition episode shirts. Because... If you don't know, if you can go to tpublic.com slash storefront slash paranormal almanac, I don't know, search for it, you'll find it. 
Um, you'll find the Paranormal Almanac merch page for stickers and, and hats and shirts and all kinds of mugs and all kinds of cool stuff. But I've been doing these limited edition 200th episode merch things. Every week I post a new one, which I did yesterday. So that new one is up there as well. Besides a couple that kind of like jumped the gun, T-Public accidentally jumped the gun, but that's fine. I don't mind them being up there. But I figured, all right, now I got too many out there. They are limited edition. I want to take them down and then they'll never be seen again. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to take down two of the lowest performing, lowest selling, whatever you want to say, lowest liked uh, shirt designs, the 200th episode shirt designs. Two of them will be going away. So if you want any of those, now is the time to do it before I take them down. Plus, they're actually having a sale right now, so it's definitely the time to do it. If you're interested in any Paranormal Almanac merch, they're having a sale. All right, with that out of the way, I want to talk about the Hand of Fate. Any updates on the Hand of Fate? Uh, let's. I should get some like background music for... Hand of Fate updates. Update. Uh, Kurt here, there's no update. It's... Still sitting there. Still a hand of fate. Uh, no one's been able to identify the actual hand. No one's been able to find one. It's not something that looks like it's ever been mass produced. A lot of weird theories like, oh, it's from the arm of a chair. Oh, yeah, why do you think that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's from the head of a staff. Well, why do you think that? Oh, I don't know. Like, there's so many weird theories about what the hell this hand is. It's definitely for a crystal ball. Okay. Definitely is a strong thing. I think it could be for a crystal ball. I'm not saying no, but definitely. All right, slow your roll. I don't know about definitely, but a lot of theories about where the hand or what the hand possibly could be, uh, except we no one's been able to find one that looks like it, and still no word from the sender of it. So sender of it, if you're listening to this episode, which I would assume you're listening to Paranormal Almanac, because why would you send it to me otherwise? Sender of this object. You don't have to identify yourself. You can create an email address, a fake email address if you'd like, and email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I would just like to know more details about the discovery of the hand. How deep was it underground in the basement, in the dirt basement? Did you, un did you have to unlock it or was it unlocked? Did you open the box at all or was it just... Weird shit started happening when you found this box. Uh, was there anything in the ground? Did you notice a smell? Because the box still smells to me. Uh, did you notice a smell when you unearthed the box? And if you did open the box, how come you didn't unwrap the hand? Did it freak you out like it freaked out Todd, Jamie, and myself when we opened it on live on air? When we did the unboxing, it was very startling to open that up and see what looked like a wrapped, mummified animal or arm or thing or some kind of, you know, human arm or something. Um, did you get that far into it? Did you dig through the dirt at all that was inside the box? I would like to just know more about if you can't, if you don't want to tell me your address, which that's fine. I get that you probably don't want to. Could you tell me the general area you live in? Maybe just the state that you live in. And if not the state, then the general area, like, oh, I'm from the East Coast or, you know, Pacific Northwest or, you know, Southeast or whatever it is, like give us some like New England, anything, anything specific that I can, I can like connect to this story. Tell me more about the farmhouse. I would love to know more about this 1800s farmhouse. Am I making up 1800s? I might be. I can't even recall if it said that. 
But anyhow, tell me more about this farmhouse. I want to know more information about the surroundings where this was found, where you found this. And has everything calmed down? That's another big one. How are You said things were like really heating up, including a fire. Uh, heating up is a poor choice of words, Kurt. Uh, things were going crazy, and then a fire. Has everything calmed down since you sent me the hand? What is now we're calling the hand of fate for no reason at all. Yeah, I'd just like to know more. So again, I get that you probably don't want to call in on a live show, which again, if you want to, please, please do. Um, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, we can arrange a way for you to do being an anonymous guest on this show. And I can actually ask you these questions and you can talk and I'll even spend the time and put it through and, and you know, alter your voice so you won't be easily recognizable. All of these things are available to you but you have to come forward. I have no way to reach out to you besides this podcast. So I'm hoping that the person who sent me this hand will take it upon themselves to reach out to me again because I would love to know more and I'd love to have you on the show in any way, shape, or form you want to do it. Okay. Uh, with that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back. That's right on this edition. I figured, you know what? Let's talk about dinosaurs. They'll be up in the top movie this weekend. They'll be everywhere. People are talking about dinosaurs anyway because of Jurassic World. Why not talk about dinosaurs? Oh, and there was a dinosaur paranormal news kind of story that I was going to throw in there, but I'll just I'll briefly add it here now, where they don't think that dinosaurs ever roared. They think they honked or growled like crocodiles. So... We're even losing the roars of dinosaurs now. Boy, the dinosaurs just seem like they they went from like being cool, scary-looking things to giant feathered goose that just honk at you. I mean, still scary because they're ginormous, but, you know, not quite as scary. But anyhow, I figured, you know, like, let's not talk about movie magic dinosaurs or, or old dead dinosaurs that honked at me. How about the ones that, for some reason, people have seen since they were you know, killed long, long ago from, you know, an asteroid. Asteroid or meteor? I think it's asteroid. All righty. So anyhow, it doesn't matter. That They're dead. Those are dead. I want to talk about the ones that are alive, that are being seen. Now, the real first story on this edition, it's short, it's sweet. So I won't consider it like 100% real, but it is very interesting because they wouldn't have known shit about dinosaurs at the time, so I figured this one is worth mentioning. You'll, you'll hear what I'm talking about in just one second. Wait, just wait one second, people. Uh, it's from 1557 to 1558, right around there. Either 5057 or 1558 report by Jean de Larie from Brazil, who described a six-foot-long white mountain lizard covered in hard oyster-like shells. When confronted, the lizard retreated inland into the mountains. That's it. Like I said, it's short, it's sweet, it's completely unexplainable. There's nothing from the 1500s that even remotely matches that description. A six-foot-long mountain lizard covered in hard, oyster-like shells. That sounds like a dinosaur to me. So boom, we're off to dinosaur land. So let's continue on. And yeah, I guess this next one isn't exactly modern day, but it is closer to modern day than the first one, definitely, and, and way more detailed too. So let's go back to 1882. Now, this is when a saurian, which 
in case you don't know, just means reptile, crocodile, those kinds of things. That's when a saurian was killed. But it wasn't a crocodile. It wasn't a reptile that anybody knew of. There's more to the story. It was written about in the Scientific American in 1883, and here's that story. The Brazilian minister at La Paz, Bolivia, has remitted to the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Rio photographs of drawings of an extraordinary saurian killed on the Benai, Benny, I don't know, after receiving 36 balls, shot 36 times, by order of the president of Bolivia, the dried body, which has been preserved at Asuncion, was sent to La Paz. It is 12 meters long. All right, for us Americans, it's about 40 feet, just under 40 feet long. So it's about 12 meters long from snout to the point of tail, which the latter is flattened. Besides the anterior head, this is where it gets weird, besides the anterior head, well, more weird than they fucking shot a dinosaur with 36 shots, but besides the anterior head, it has four meters, it has four meters behind, two small but completely formed heads rising from the back. All three have much resemblance to the head of the dog. The legs are short and end in formidable claws. The legs, belly, and lower part of the throat appear defended by a kind of scale armor, and all the back is protected by a still thicker and double cuirass. Cuirass. I don't know. Starting from behind the ears of the anterior head and continuing to the tail. The neck is long and the belly large and almost dragging on the ground. Professor Gilvetti, who examined the beast, thinks it's not a monster, but a member of a rare or almost lost species, as the Indians in some part of Bolivia use small earthen vases of identical shape and probably copied from nature. Once again, that was from the Scientific American, uh, London, Volume 49, Number 1, July 7th, 1883. All right. Let's start with the basics. They came across a 40-foot-long reptile. It took 36 shots to kill it. Then the crazy part about the multiple heads. And then a bunch of, like, armor on its chest, on its back, very dinosaur-like. I have no idea how to explain that one, but, like, just what the hell was it, and why were the natives not surprised to see it? Now, the photograph of the drawing is... The worst drawing possible because it, to me, it looks like they just did a drawing of a fossil found. So I, I, I'm not going to put too much stock into the drawing because it's a drawing, you know, people don't know how to draw very well, but they wrote about this one again in 1885. That's right. Two years later, they wrote about it again. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but it was again in the 1885, the journal of science and annals of astronomy, biology, Geology, Industrial Arts, Manufacturers, and Technologies Monthly, formerly the Quarterly Journal of Science, April 1885. Alrighty, I gotta get down to the page. Hold on. I think it's 195. The Journal of Science, yes, yes. Dude, that's not it. There we go. The Bolivian Monster, Testimony in Science. I'm going to get to the good stuff. It talks about other weird things that were found, including an earthworm of six feet in length was actually captured in South Africa. So there's weird things out there. Basically, it's kind of setting it up for like, look, I know it sounds weird, but other weird shit has been found. But I want to get to the actual Bolivian monster. Here we go. 
A gentleman whose well-known intelligence and standing excluded all all suspicions of a canard or an intended hoax. His letter was published in our June 1883 thing, the one I just read, you guys. Um, And they said, yeah, we, we got a, earned us in certain quarters a few sneers. We now learn further particulars from the Journal de Luna and from Cosmos. The animal in question was killed in the River Beni or Benai in Bolivia, one of the tributaries of the Madeira, and hence indirectly of the Amazons. A photograph was taken of the body and an engraving from which appears in Cosmos. The skeleton is said to have been conveyed to the city of La Paz, where it is now deposited. But no other word about what happened to that body since then. The length of the animal from the head to the extremity of the tail is given at 12 meters or approximately 40 feet. No other dimensions are given, but the body, judging from the figure before us, is exceedingly massive. The general aspect of the creature is that of an aquatic saurian. Hold on one second. Sorry, I had to turn the AC on because it is freaking hot in here. It's summertime. It's like 100 degrees and I'm like, where I do the podcast is this like little corner of the house where there's just no airflow. Uh, you've seen it on camera. Uh, let's see. Uh, 12 feet long. There is the usual armor-clad trunk. There are four powerful legs terminating in formidable claws, but so short that the belly will scarcely clear the ground. The tail is of the, of the usual saurian character, very much thicker than it's met with in any mammal, but differing from that of crocodiles by the absence of ridges and by being compressed not laterally but vertically towards the tip. But when we turn our heads to the ideas of the th- fitness of the things receives a shock. I'm going to skip ahead. It's thick neck. It's really scary. Um, the only non-mammalian character shown in the plate lies in the teeth and in the width of the gape. The teeth, as far can be judged from the figure, offer no distinctions of incisors, canines, and molars, but consist of a row of sharp wedges, differing little in size, and all pointing somewhat backwards. So no big, like, you know, Canaan fangs kind of a thing. The lower jaw forms almost a flat plate, and no trace of a tongue is visible. If that organ, however, is formed on the crocodilian type, it will not be apparent on the side view of the head, even the jaws. Oh, so they're just basically saying, look, you can't really see a tongue on a crocodile unless you look directly at it. So that's probably why they didn't see the tongue. According to both, the figure in the description of the creature has, in addition to the head already described, two others placed in a parallel position on each of the spine, about 12 or 13 feet behind the normal head. These two subsidiary heads, though somewhat smaller, have the same eyes, ears, and jaws as the principal head, and they are both turned forwards. That's freaking weird. Let's see. Professor Givelti, whose address unfortunately is not given, or we should have taken to the liberty of communicating with him, has examined the animal and forms the conclusion that the specimen is not a monstrosity, but is a perfectly normal member of a rare species. One circumstance upon the conclusion is based in the certain earthen vessels which date back to the time of the Incas. They are made in imitation of the form of this animal. Hence, it is inferred that the former times this strange saurian was more common than at present. So basically, hey, yo, these people, these Peruvian potters were making pots that look like this thing. Obviously, they saw these things around and that's why they made these pots. So they were, you know, once plentiful and now not so much. I think that's it. I think that's as far as I wanted to get to. They talk about the journal de, de la Una, and um, they basically are saying, look, we wish we had the body. We look, we, we wish we could talk to the guy that was there because uh, he's reputable, but they couldn't. And sadly, body, no idea what happened to it. 
the photos, like I said, it's photos of drawings and the drawings aren't that great. But the editors of Journal of Science followed up that article with a further analysis mentioning, this is why they said that was weird, that they they found like fox-like ears on this creature. So not like a crocodile, not like an alligator. It had ears and they thought that was kind of odd too. And yeah. Alrighty, so basically 1882, dinosaur was seen and because people suck, was killed. So let's move forward to 1907. This is when Lieutenant Colonel Percy, Lieutenant Colonel Percy Fawcett of the British Army was sent to mark the boundaries between Brazil and Peru. One thing to note that I thought was kind of fun, um, everyone said, you know, hey, this guy, Percy Fawcett, he's an officer in the Royal Engineers. He is meticulous recorder of facts. His word is like basically God. I mean, he, he only te- speaks the truth. He's very scientific in his research. He's a great guy. He's a great uh, eyewitness. Maybe eyewitness. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But another sun, uh, side fun fact is he disappeared in the jungle 13 years after this expedition. He was looking for like this lost city of Z or something and just disappeared, never to be seen again. Some people say he found the lost city and, you know, just lived there. Others say that he found like a tribe girl and was like, screw civilization. This is awesome. Her boobs are out. Some say that he was killed by a tribe. No one knows, basically. But this cool guy, Lieutenant Colonel Percy Fawcett, 1907, he's in the Beni or Benai swamps of the Madre de Dios, when some sites say he himself saw an animal that he believed to be Diplodocus, a dinosaur. Here's the thing. Only some sites say this. It's kind of, I don't know if it's specific, if he saw it or not, but let me read everything and then you can kind of come to your own conclusions. He says that the sighting was confirmed by many of the tribes east of the Ukulai. Sure, why not? It's a region covered by American explorer Leonard Clark. So basically he's saying, hey, I saw this thing. Looks like a Diplodocus, a dinosaur. And all of the tribes that are east of this region know of this creature and have seen it too. Now, Leonard Clark, who said this about Percy, he said he never claimed to have seen such an animal for himself and only mentioned secondhand discoveries of three-toed tracks and other trails which he associated with it, but he did briefly attest to the existence of a dinosaur-like animal in the Rio Guapo region of Bolivia, Brazil. And in the swamps of Brazil as well. So basically he said, look, he never told me that he saw it in firsthand. But he saw a bunch of stuff, including tracks, and talked to a bunch of people that said, oh yeah, there's a dinosaur and it's big and here's what it looks like. All right, sticking with Leonard for a minute. We'll get back to Percy, but sticking with Leonard for a minute. He was often told of a sauropod from locals of the Rio Murano in Peru when he was out there exploring. So he has his own, like, these... These tribe people just come up and talk to him about dinosaurs. And the U.S. consular agent at Aquitos Luis, or Louis, uh, Louis Gallardi, sure. They claim that the animal's existence was confirmed by many of the tribes east of that region that was covered by Clark. And in Peru, he wrote this. The Madidi monster. He has heard about it from the natives in the area. 
They said they had encounters with such long-necked animals that browsed on the vegetation and attacked canoes that approached them. He wrote, speaking of reptiles, old boy Colonel Fawcett reached the eastern edge of, Mad of Madre de Dios, out where you were going. It is a country of swamps, apparently. One day, while running his dugouts through it, he saw a great reptilian head rise out of the jungle, but before he could shoot, the head was lowered. From the noise the beast made getting away, he took it to be some kind of dinosaur, some sort of dinosaur. His Indians revolted, and it was necessary to return to Mato Grosso. When I smiled, he presently added, Don't be too sure they don't exist. We hear a great many stories from the Indians here. So that makes it seem like Percy did see it. That's what I'm saying at the beginning. Like, I don't know if Percy actually saw it or not. In one instance, Leonard Clark said, no, he told me he never saw it. In the next one, he did see it. So I don't know. But back to Percy. In a letter written to the Daily Mail published on December 17th, 1919, Percy did report a sighting of a large, long-necked reptile made by a friend of his around the border of Brazil and Bolivia, while also specifying that he himself had never seen either the animals or its tracks now. He said, A friend of mine, a trader in the rivers, and for whose honesty I can vouch, saw in somewhere about lateral, uh, latitude 12 south and longitude 65 west, the head and neck of a huge reptile of the character of the Brontosaurus. It was a question of who was scared the most, for it precipitately withdrew with a plunging which suggested enormous bulk. The savages appear to be familiar with the existence and tracks of the beast, although I have never come across any of the latter myself. These swamps over immense areas are virtually impenetrable. He also wrote, some mysterious and enormous beast has frequently been disturbed in the swamps, possibly a primeval monster like those reported in other parts of the continent. Certainly tracks have been found belonging to, a, to no known animal. Huge tracks, far greater than could have been made by any species we know. All right, I don't know what to think. It's very confusing if he did or did not see the dinosaur himself, but I think he did. Look, we're going by 19, early 1900s reports and letters that are still out there. There's, they can be found. These are real letters, but it's very confusing to me whether he 100% himself ever saw a dinosaur. But the locals, oh yeah, they definitely saw it numerous times. And other explorers around that time definitely saw it too. And... To get, make it even weirder, the dinosaur wasn't the only thing seen by Percy on his travels through the jungles. Nope. He also saw the Apazauka spider. Sure, why not? He saw a spider. It's a ginormous black tarantula spider with venomous, with uh, lethal venom. So a venomous spider, ginormous tarantula. That one I can believe. I guarantee you that thing is real. Then he saw cat dog. Not the cartoon. He said it was a cat-like dog or a canid-like, a canid, canid-looking felide. Felid, whatever, doesn't matter. He's not calling it a feline and he's not calling it a canine. He said a canid-looking felid. Basically, he saw a cat dog. No idea what it is. He also saw a massive anaconda, which he said measured up to 62 feet long. So, an anaconda. I think those existed, so sure. He also, I mean, I know anacondas exist. I mean, these ginormous anacondas, these, these 
mythical anaconda, these 60-foot-long anacondas. I think they exist or existed. He also described an encounter with the giant anaconda like this. We were drifting easily along in the sluggish current, not far below the confluence of the Rio Negro, when almost under the bow of the boat, there appeared a triangular head and several feet of undulating body. Kurt here, fucking terrifying. He said it was a giant anaconda. I sprang for, the li- for my rifle as the creature began to make its way up the bank and hardly waiting to aim, smashed a 44 soft nose bullet into its spine 10 feet below the wicked head. At once, there was a flurry of foam and several heavy thumps against the boat's keel, shaking us as though we had run on a snag. With great difficulty, I persuaded the Indian crew to turn in uh, shorewards. They turned the boat toward shore. They were so frightened that the whites showed all around their popping eyes, and in the moment of firing, I had heard their terrified voices begging me not to shoot lest the monster destroy the boat and everyone on board. For not only did these creatures attack boats when injured, but there is also a great danger from their mates. He goes on to say, We stepped ashore and approached the reptile with caution. It was out of action, but shivers ran up and down the body like puffs of wind on a mountain tarn. Oh, that's creepy. As far as it was possible to measure, a length of 45 feet lay out of the water and 17 feet in it, making a total length of 62 feet. Its body was not thick for such a colossal length, not more than 12 inches in diameter, but it had probably been long without food. I tried to cut a piece out of the skin, but the beast was by no means dead, and the sudden upheavals rather scared us. A penetrating, foaded odor emanated from the snake, probably its breath, which is believed to have been stupefying effect, first attracting and later paralyzing its prey. Everything about this snake was repulsive. Not done yet. Such large specimens as this may not be common, but the trails in the swamps reach a width of six feet and support the statements of Indians and rubber pickers that the anaconda sometimes reaches an incredible size, altogether dwarfing the one shot by me. The Brazilian Boundary Commission told me of one killed in the Rio Rio Paraguay exceeding 80 feet in length. And as we all know, he concluded with, the anaconda don't want none unless it's got buns on. Alrighty, so that's not even the weirdest thing that he saw, though. Not that the anaconda's weird. Like I said, I think they're real. But uh, still, fucking crazy. And again, don't shoot. Everybody, stop shooting. Ah, there's a new creature. We don't know what it is. Let's shoot it. Can we not? Okay, please. All right, the other weird thing he saw is what he called the maracoxy or Maracoxy, or Maracoxy, because I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a group of ape men which could use weapons and tools. All right, grain of salt time, but this I might be a report written by Percy about them. I don't know. I think it's real, but I couldn't verify this next report, but it still is the same um, wording and everything from the other reports, so I think it is real, though. I think it's a legit report by him. As we stood looking from right to left, trying to decide which direction was the more promising... Two savages appeared about 100 yards to the south, moving at a trot and talking rapidly. One catching sight of us, they stopped... On catching sight of us, they stopped dead and hurriedly fixed arrows to their bows. While I shouted to them in the Mugzupi tongue, we could not see them clearly for the shadows dappling their body, but it seems to me they were large, hairy men with exceptionally long arms and with foreheads sloping back from pronounced eye ridges. Men of a very primitive kind. In fact... Stark naked. Suddenly, they turned and made off into the undergrowth, and we, knowing it was useless to follow, started up the north leg of the trail. He said, uh, 
later on, he said, in the morning we went on and within a quarter of a mile came to a sort of palm leaf sentry box, then another. Then all of a sudden we reached open forest. The undergrowth fell away, disclosing between the tree hole, tree bowls a village of primitive shelters where squatted some of the most villainous savages I have ever seen. Whoa, harsh language, dude. Some of them were engaging in making arrows while others just idled great ape-like brutes who looked as if they'd been scarcely evolved beyond the level of the beasts. I whistled, and an enormous creature, hairy as a dog, leapt to its feet in the nearest shelter, fitted an arrow to his bow in a flash, and came up dancing from one leg to the other till he was only four yards away, emitting grunts that sounded like, I don't know, it's E-U-G-H, oog, 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 I'm guessing. He remained there dancing, and suddenly the whole forest around us was alive with these hideous ape men, all grunting, that same thing, and dancing from leg to leg in the same way as they strung arrows to their bows. It looked like a very delicate situation for us, and I wondered if it was the end. I made friendly overtures in that language, but they paid no attention. It was though human speech were beyond their powers of comprehension. Man, maybe it's because you're talking down to these things so much. Jesus. Um, he said the creature in front of me ceased his dance, stood for a moment perfectly still, then drew his bowstring back till it was level with his ear, at the same time raising the barb point of the six-foot arrow to the height of my chest. I looked straight into the pig-like eyes, now they have pig-like eyes, half hidden under the overhanging brows, and knew that he was, gonna, he was not going to loose that arrow yet. As deliberately as he raised it, now he lowered it and commenced once more the slow dance and the oog-oog-oog. A second time he raised the arrow at me and drew the bow back, and again I knew he would not shoot. You know what? Calling these things primitive, but uh, they're a lot cooler than you are. They're just, oh, God, that's something scary, and they shoot at it. Um, let's see. Second time, Razor knew we wasn't going to shoot. It was just as the Maxubis told me it would be. Again, he lowered the bow and continued his dance. Then for the third time, he halted and began to bring the arrow's point. I knew he meant business this time and drew out a Mauser pistol I had on my hip. Dick move. It was a big, clumsy thing of a caliber unsuitable to forest use, but I had been but I had brought it because by clipping the wooden holster to the pistol butt, it became a carbine and was lighter to carry than a true rifle. It used 38 uh, black powder shells, which made a din out of all proportions of their size. I never raised it. I just pulled the trigger and banged it off into the ground at the ape man's feet. The effect was instantaneous. A look of complete amazement came into the hideous face. Dick, come on. And the little eyes opened wide. He dropped his bow and arrow, sprang away as quickly as a cat to vanish behind a tree. Then the arrows began to fly. We shot off a few rounds into the branches, hoping the noise would scare the savages into a more receptive frame of mind, but they seemed in no way disposed to accept us. Except, why would they? You stumbled into their camp and were a dick from the get-go. Before any was hurt, we gave up and as hopeless and retreated down the trail till the camp was out of sight. We were not followed, but the clamor in the village continued for a long time as we struck off northwards, and we fancied we still heard the ug 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 of the enraged braves. Gee, maybe shit like that is why you disappeared into the, the jungles later on. Maybe don't be a dick to everything you come across. All right, one final piece of Percy's report. He said, There are snakes and insects unknown to scientists, and in the forest of the Medidi, some mysterious and enormous beast has frequently been disturbed in the swamps, possibly a primeval monster like those reported in other parts of the continent. Certainly tracks have been found belonging to no known animal huge tracks, far greater than they could have been made by any species we know, and back to that same bullshit. All righty, let's get into the 1900s. Well, actually, before I do that, let me just say, 
He was meticulous with his reporting and his tracking and his longitude and latitudes. You would think that somewhere would be the exact longitude and latitude of this tribe and that someone could go there and find either the tribe of animal, creature, hairy men, whatever you want to call them. I don't want to be a dick. Like the hairy men. I'll just call them the hairy men. There should be either evidence of the hairy men or of the tribe or of their camps or something or of all of the shots they fired into the trees. Like bring a metal detector, go through that whole area. But there should be specific longitude and latitude, yet no follow-ups were ever done as far as I could find. And it kind of bums me out. Like, like, here you go. You can't ask for much more information than what you got from this kind of a guy in that time frame in the 1800s, but no one's ever tried? That's pissing me off. Alrighty. With that, let's get into the 1900s for the next one. When in late 1907, Franz Hermann Schmidt and Rudolf Fling, which I just got to say is just a fun name to say, Fling! I am Rudolf Fling. I would tell people my name every time. I would always say my last name. Uh, so Rudolf and uh, for so Fling and Schmidt uh, said they encountered an aquatic dinosaur-like monster. It was 35 feet long in a swampy area in the forested swamps of Laredo Department in Peru. They said it had a huge taper-like head the size of a beer keg, a snake-like body, and heavy clawed flippers. They also noted that their bullets seemed to have no effect on the animal. Again, stop shooting shit, people. According to Schmidt, during the 12th day of his expedition to the remote swamps and the valleys of Peru, he and Fling came across huge tracks, two sets of different sizes on the shore of a shallow lake formed in the valley. The following day, shortly after they discovered a muddy track on the shore, some monkeys in the nearby jungle began to shriek. He said, for a full 10 minutes, there was silence. Then the green growth began to stir again, and coming back to the lake, we beheld the frightful monster that I, that I shall now describe. The head appeared over bushes 10 feet tall. It was the size of a beer keg and was shaped like that of a taper. Tapir? Taper? I don't know. As if the snout was used for pulling things or taking hold of them. The eyes were small and dull and set in like those of an alligator. Despite the half-dried mud, we could see that the neck, which was very snake-like, only thicker in proportion as rough knotted like an alligator's side rather than his back. Evidently, the animal saw nothing odd in us if he noticed us and advanced till he was not more than 150 feet away. We could see part of the body, which I should judge to have been eight or nine feet thick at the shoulders, if that word may be used, since there were no forelegs, only some great heavy clawed flippers. The surface was like that of the neck. For a wonder, the Indians did not bolt, but they seemed fascinated. As far as I was concerned, I would have waited a little longer, but Fling threw up his rifle and let drive at the head. I'm sure that he struck between the eyes and the bullet must have struck something bony, horny, or very tough, for it cut twigs from a, high, a tree higher up, and further it glanced, and further it glanced, whatever. I shot his Fling shot again and aimed for the base of the neck. The animal had remained perfectly still till now. It dropped its nose to the spot to which I had aimed, and seemed to bite at it, but there was no blood or any sign of real hurt. As quickly as we fired, as quickly as we could fire, we pumped seven shots into it, and I believe all struck. They seemed to annoy the creature, but not work any injury. Suddenly, it plunged forward in a silly, clumsy fashion. The Indians nearly upset the dugout getting away, and both Fling and I missed the sight as I entered the water. I was very anxious to see its hind legs, if it had any, 
It looked again. O- I looked again only in time to see the last of it leave the land, a heavy blunt tail with rough, horny lumps. The head was visible still, though the body was hidden by the splash. From the instant's opportunity, I should say that the creature was 35 feet long, with at least 12 of its with with oh with at least 12 of this devoted to the head and neck. In three seconds, there was nothing to be seen except the waves of the muddy water, the movements of the water side growth, and a monkey with its hind parts uselessly hauling himself up a tree. Ugh, that's creepy. Uh, as the Indians paddled frantically away, I pulled a bullet through the poor thing to let it out of its misery. Oh, he killed the monkey. That's That sucks. I don't like that. We had not gone 100 yards before Fling called to me and pointed to the right. Above the water, an eighth of a mile away, appeared the head and neck of the monster. It must have dived and gone right under us. After a few seconds' gaze, it began to swim towards us, and our bullets seemed to have no effect. We took to flight in earnest, losing sight of it behind an island. We did not pick it up again, and we were just as well pleased. That's an encounter and a half. Sad monkey encounter. Sorry, I should have warned you guys. Uh, He also wrote, One of the excited Indians began to paddle the boat away from the shore, and before we could stop him, we were 100 feet from the water line. Now, we could have seen nothing, and the Indians absolutely refused to put it in again, while neither Fling or myself... Cared to lay down our rifles to paddle. There was a great moving of plants and a sound like heavy slaps of a great paddle mingled with uh, the cries of some of the monkeys moving rapidly away from the lake. For a full ten minutes there was silence, then the green growth began to stir again. And coming back to the lake we beheld the frightful monster. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an intense story. Again, stop fucking shooting shit. Ugh, angers me. I know it's early 1900s, but come on, man. Let's see. Yeah, let's see. The yeah, that's, the rest of it is all the same. Um, uh, I'm trying to see if there's anything. There's so the story was written like four different times. I think the one I just read to you is the exact report of it, and the rest of them kind of like not flourish it, but just change the wording a little bit. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. All right. So then from there, let's move to 1921, where an iguanodon kind of looking dinosaur, was spotted in Colombia's Magdalena River by a Brazilian native named Alvaro Mesquita. He said he saw it on the shore of a swampy lake between the Rio Puras and the Rio Uarua. I don't know. And, of course, he shot at it, which didn't do crap except make it run away into the lake and, you know, basically disappear. So we're now, we're now into 1921. People are still doing the same old crap of, ooh, look, a dinosaur, and then let me shoot at it. So let's move into 1931, when Swedish explorer Harald Weston said he saw a 20-foot-long lizard walking along the shores of the Rio Mamore on the border of Brazil and Bolivia. Hello, Rum. That's right. It's the This episode, we're lucky enough to be joined by Rum for a minute here. She hopped into my lap just to say hi and say hi to all of you. Alrighty, where are we? Oh yeah, Harald Weston, 1931, the shore of the Rio Mamore, on the border of Brazil and Bolivia, it had an alligator-like head, four legs, and a body like a distended boa constrictor. He said it got closer to the. He said he got closer to the dinosaur in his boat, prompting it to turn around and look at him with its small scarlet eyes. And, like every dickhead that sees a new creature, he shot at it too. However, his bullet seemed to have no effect on the creature, which walked away unconcerned. Fuck you, Harald. That's what you get. Uh, 1931, people still being assholes. Let's move to 1932 for a couple of cases. All righty, 1932. 
John Johnson or John Johansson, depending on where you get your, your information from, and I couldn't figure out which one is which, so I'm going to put them both on there. He was a Swedish plantation owner. He was traveling with a servant in the Kasai Valley in the Belgian Congo. Oof. Uh, all of this sounds bad and slightly racisty. I hope it's not. Um, but plantation owner, servant, I don't know. But they encountered a rhino. All right, nothing weird there. But while they were giving it space and attempting to pass it without pissing it off, they said they were surprised by a large creature rushing out of the undergrowth and attacking the rhinoceros. Now, the servant ran away, and um, Johnson, or Johansson, he fainted. He said he awoke to see the creature was eating the rhinoceros. He said it was reddish in color with blackish-colored stripes. It had a long snout and numerous teeth. He decided that the creature, 13 meters long, was a Tyrannosaurus, but he said the legs were thick. It reminded me of a lion built for speed. All right. Didn't shoot at it, at least. We got that going for this weird plantation owner. Um, also in 1932, in an edition of the Rhodesia Herald, an almost identical and, in my opinion, same story was posted. And it said, On February 16th last, I went on a shooting trip accompanied by my gun bearer. I had only a Winchester for small game, not expecting anything big. 2 p.m., I had reached the Kasai Valley. No game was in sight. As we were going down to the water, the boy suddenly called out, Elephants! It appeared that two giant bulls were almost hidden by the jungle. About 50 yards away from them, I saw something incredible. A monster, about 16 yards in length, with a lizard's head and tail. I closed my eyes and reopened them. There could be no doubt about it. The animal was still there. My boy cowered in the grass, whimpering. I was shaken by the hunting fever. My teeth rattled with fear. Three times I snapped. Only one attempt came out well. Suddenly, the monster vanished, and with a remarkable, rapid, rapid movement... It took me some time to recover. Alongside me, the boy pro, uh, prayed and cried. I lifted him up, pushed him along, and made him follow me home. On the way, we had to traverse a big swamp. Progress was slow, for my limbs were still half paralyzed with fear. There in the swamp, the huge lizard appeared on once more, tearing lumps from a dead rhino. It was covered in ooze. It was only 25 yards away. It was simply terrifying. The boy had taken French leave carrying the rifle with them. At first I was not careful to st I was first I was careful not to stir, then I thought of my camera. I could hear the crunching of rhino bones in the lizard's mouth. Just as I clicked, it jumped into the deep water. The experience was too much for my nervous system. Completely exhausted, I sank down behind the bush that had given me shelter. Let's see. Oh, I sorry, I had to let rum down. Where was he? Where was I? Uh uh, jumped into the deep water. The experience was too much for my nervous system. Completely exhausted, I sank down behind the bush that had given me shelter. Blackness reigned before my eyes. The animal's phenomenally rapid motion was the most awe-inspiring thing I have ever seen. I must have looked like one demented when at last I regained camp. Metcalf, who is the boss there, said I approached him, waving the camera about in a silly way and emanating unintelligible sounds. I dare say I did. For eight days, I lay in a fever, unconscious nearly all the time. All right. Not exactly the toughest guy, John Johansson. Um, I think it was the same story or someone telling someone about that story and then they embellished it a little bit for print. But I think ultimately, I think the kernel of truth is this dickhead plantation owner and his servant were out in the valley, the Kasai Valley. They saw a creature and then that creature attacked a rhinoceros and then, they, then he passed out and probably wet himself too, but he didn't mention that part. 
All righty. That's, um, so we're getting closer. I'll like, I get it that all of those stories are almost like a hundred years old or way older. So let's get a little bit more modern. Let's travel in time. Oh, first time I've used that this episode. Let's travel in time to a world where people were seeing Jaws in the movie theaters. That's right. Let's go to 1975. When a Swiss businessman, no name, that's the only thing that angers me about this one, hired a 75-year-old guide named Sebastian Bastos. Now, this guy, Sebastian, told him about uh, told him the Amazonian Indians knew of animals 18 feet long that overturn canoes and kill humans. Now, Sebastian himself had survived an attack several years earlier. The story eventually got out. It was written by the Liverpool Daily Post on January 3rd, 1976. Now, during the previous year, and this is the story. During the previous year, an unidentified Swiss businessman, huge red flag for me, even the newspaper couldn't get this guy's uh, name, an unidentified Swiss businessman holidaying in the Amazon received an account of a large, long-necked animal from a 75-year-old guide named Sebastian Bastos, who had been educated in Switzerland according to Bastos, as transmitted through both the businessman and the Liverpool Daily Post, Several years previously, he had beached himself by he had beached his canoe by a river in a dense rainforest and was walking away when hearing a loud when hearing a loud noise, he turned back to see a large monster tearing his boat apart. Sebastian fled, briefly looking back to see the animal had submerged in the river. Sebastian's Indian friends told him that these animals lived in deep pools in the hearts of the jungle, mainly coming out of onto the land during the night. The Indians, who were afraid of the animals, described them as having heads, necks, and backs of about 18 feet in length. That's a cool one. I like it. It's the 70s. It's got the actual guide's name. It doesn't have the uh, the businessman's name. That kind of bums me out. But it does have some information and location. So I like that one. I thought it was very cool. All righty. With that... Nah, let me keep going. Screw it. What the hell? I'll just keep going. I was gonna say, let's with that. Let me end right here, and then I'll I'll save the rest of it for the the patrons. But you know what? Then the patrons have to download a different app and listen to it there. So why not I just continue it on for here? And if you like the rest of these stories, you best thank a patron or become a patron because it's because of them that I'm gonna continue on past the hour mark. All righty, let's go to the '80s to a sighting that sounds more like a stegosaurus than the rest of these. You know, the rest of these have all been like very Tyrannosaurus, Diplodocus, Iguanodon sounding things. But this one in the 80s actually sounds like a stegosaurus. In the Likuala swamps, L-I-K-O-U-A-L-A swamps, it's said that the locals know of and talked about the Mabuli Mabuli Mabuli. That is the name given to this creature. Now, a young woman named Odette Gasanget from the village of Bunila told a cryptozoologist named Roy Mackle a story about a semi-aquatic creature with, quote, planks growing out of its back. He showed her several illustrated books, which everybody does. Anytime you hear about, like, a living dinosaur and someone, like, some, you know, researcher or... All right, Rum, get down. Thank you, sweetheart. When some guy is, like, in the jungles and he comes across a tribe and they're like, hey, there's this giant thing, and he's like, oh... And he always pulls out a book that shows like animals from the present day all the way back to the dinosaurs. And in every one of these stories, when he, once he gets to the dinosaurs, that's when the tribe goes like, oh, that's it. 
And in this case, they pointed to a picture of the Stegosaurus. Now, I will say that it's kind of odd because paleontologists don't think that Stegosaurus is an aquatic dinosaur, but, you know, who knows? Maybe this one's gotten used to the swamps and all that time. I have no idea. But fun bit about this one. This is for you skeptics. Eight years later, in that same area, British travel writer Redmond O'Hanlon was told by the son of a village elder there that tales of living dinosaurs were, quote, to bring idiots like you here and make a lot of money. And you know what? I respect that. Good on them. If that is the case, if every one of these living dinosaur stories told by natives is just to get, like, white man's money, fuck them. Good on them. All right, come on up. I'm sorry. You can come back up. All right. You can come back up. Yep, you're a good girl. Um, so I love that. Like, if that is the truth, if that is the case, that all of the tribes got together and were like, look, here's how you do it. You kind of play dumb. And then when the idiot shows you, like, photos, you're like, no, it's not a rhinoceros. No, it's not an elephant. And then when he shows you a dinosaur, you, you know, bug out your eyes, be like, whoa, that's it. We call it Mabuli, Mabuli, Mabuli. Yeah, you should go and look for that. Give me some money. Like, if that's the case, fucking good on him. All righty, let's move on to 1995, where a huge grain of salt story time. No names, not a lot of details. You'll find out in just a second. 1995, a party of geology students in eastern Brazil's Sincora Mountains allegedly glimpsed two 30-foot-long animals with huge bodies, 8-foot necks, fearsome heads, 8-foot tails, bathing in the shallows of the Paraguacua, Paraguacu River on the Arobo Plain. That's it. That's the whole story. No more. This is 95. There were cell phones in 95. Not a ton. I get that. There was cameras definitely in 95. You telling me that a ton of geology students, not one of them could describe it better than, oh, we saw two 30-foot animals with huge bodies, eight-foot necks, fearsome heads, eight-foot tails. Now oh, they're, they're bathing in the shallows of that river over there. Not, hey, you know what? It's 1995. I just saw a fucking dinosaur. Because that's what I would have said. You know what I saw? I saw two fucking dinosaurs. How do I know what a dinosaur is? Because it's 1995. So, huge grain of salt on that one. All righty, November 2000. A researcher named Bill Gibbons did an expedition to Cameroon when he said he discovered not only that this country apparently possessed its own version of the Mokele Mbembe, which in case you don't know, that's the living dinosaur in the Congo that I've done an episode about previously. That's why Mokele Mbembe is not being listed on this episode. So don't come at me like, I can't believe you did a whole living dinosaur episode and didn't mention Mokele Mbembe. I've already done that one. These are different ones. But this guy said, they said they had their own version of the Mokele Mbembe, but this dinosaur, again, he showed them a book. Locals looked at it, waited till they got to the dinosaurs. They went, holy crap, there it is. It's a Triceratops. Now, they call it Nagubu. Nagobo? No, Nagobu. And they claimed it inhabited savanna areas to the west of the Bumba River. It is also known in the Sango region near the Central African Republic. Now, they stated that it was the size of an ox, sported a large frill around its neck, which differs slightly in the female, they noted. It has a beaked mouth and bore several horns. They did say, like, yeah, like, yeah, that's what it looks like, but not really that's what it looks like. It doesn't exactly look like a triceratops. And he went, what do you mean? So 
one of the locals drew a picture of their dinosaur and they drew it with a series of six horns around the edge of its frill, which is called, it's a known dinosaur called Styracosaurus. Sure, Styracosaurus. Uh, they said that this was the one that, uh, that was around there and it too was amphibious, which again goes against what paleontologists think of this species of dinosaurs. They don't think that Styracosaurus or Triceratops was amphibious, but these tribesmen are like, nope, it is. We see it all the time. All right, here's another questionable one. Um, it does have names and more details, and I do like it. It's from July of 2004. I'm going to read it exactly like it's written everywhere. In the moonscape of the Atacama Desert, near uh, in the Atacama Desert of Chile, a car full of people driving the main road linking Ikik and Arica, I don't know, two towns, uh, they were in the car one evening. In the car was a Chilean army official named Hernan Cuevos, his wife, and his two young children, and another uh, man named Dario Requelme. They were about 17 kilometers outside of Arica, I don't know, when what appeared to be two gray, hairless, bipedal lizards about seven feet high with short arms, and which, according to Cuevos, was a huge beast, much like a two-legged dinosaur with huge thighs. It appeared out of the wasteland around them. The bizarre creature allegedly sped across the road with swift strides to disappear into the night, and they apparently stopped the car in shock and looked around, but they could not find the creature again. However, they did find that they had left behind strange three-toed footprints. Weird, right? Always written the same, everywhere. Story never changes, anywhere. Alrighty, with that, let's move to uh, one of my favorite places ever that I've never been to. That's right. It's Australia time. <laughs> Australia time. Shh. All right. In the Darling Downs, which is a, apparently a farming region in southeast Queensland, farmers have reported strange noises, which some people think are the sounds of a dinosaur called... Mutaburasaurus. Mutabutasaurus? Mutaburasaurus? Why? No idea. It's not like we know what a Mutaburasaurus sounds like, and then someone heard something in these in the Darling Downs, and we're like, hey, you know what that is? I've heard that. That's a Mutaburasaurus you got over there. You got yourself a Mutaburasaurus. All right. But my bad Australian accent and that story aren't the only reason I added Australia to this episode. Nope. Besides the Mutaburasaurus... Mutaburasaurus, there are also aboriginal reports of Burringer, or its nickname, Old Three Toes, they say. This creature is still seen. It's a nocturnal reptile that feasts on native animals like cattle and kangaroo. It leaves behind monstrous footpaths, footprints, and missing livestock in its wake. Uh, so, yeah, I guess add dinosaurs to the list of crazy shit living in Australia, maybe. But um, there you go. With that, let's just say that despite what uh, Jurassic World does to its dinosaurs, there still may be some living in the real world dinosaurs living out there. And all seem to be completely featherless and not what modern science thinks dinosaurs ever even look like, which is odd. You think about that, like you go back to the 1800s or that 1500 story or the 1900 story. 
They don't look like great reptiles. According to scientists today, they're supposed to look like giant chickens that honk at you. But none of these are being described that way. So just what the fuck do dinosaurs really look like? In my own selfish way, I hope they look like, you know, like dinosaurs. I hope they look like giant lizards. I don't want them to look like giant chickens. I'll be fine with it. If it turns out that's exactly what they look like, cool. My whole childhood was a lie. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get by. I'll live with that. But secretly in my heart, I hope they look like giant lizards because that's what they look like when I dream of them. But anyhow, there you go. So there seems to be, besides Nessie and Champy and all of the dinosaurs that we still spot to this day and Mukele Mbembe, there are other dinosaurs and, you know, Thunderbirds and Pteranodons and Pterodactyls. Shit, now that, you know, like once I say it out loud, there's a lot of freaking dinosaurs that are still seen everywhere. So just what the hell is happening? Are there dinosaurs still? And if so, why the hell can't I go see one? I promise I won't shoot it. Even if it comes after me, like if I fuck up and I go in the wrong area and they're like, oh yeah, you shouldn't have gone there. That's, you know, Mobeli, Mobeli, Mobeli's area. You shouldn't have gone there. Well, I was stupid enough to go there. At least let me look at the dinosaur and I'll take a bunch of photos and I'll Facebook live it or something while it eats me. But like, I won't shoot it. So I got that going for me. I just want to see it. And if it is friendly, I kind of want to hug it. Or at least give one of those like, you know, like the Jurassic Park, Dr. Grant listening to the Triceratops breathe. Like, I want to do one of those things. I just want to lean up against it and just be like, oh, I love you, dinosaur. Is that too much to ask? That's my question for this episode. The question for this episode for all you is, is that too much to ask? All right. With that, um, I hope you guys liked this episode of the, pretend you didn't hear the music starting right then. It's, uh, I've got to wait for it before I can get to that part so I can seamlessly bring it up behind me as I say my goodbyes. Um, with that, uh, once again, this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Nee, mi man, fun, wenn sie dir mit